The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome. I'm Suzanne Phillips, and this is Psych Up Live. My goal and that of my guests is to go beyond the soundbite as we offer a psychological perspective on life issues. Join us in the conversation. Listen in and call in with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5788. Today we're going to be asking two broad questions. Could Grandpa be depressed? What should we know about later life depression? Actually, this is a very important show because depression in later life is too often dismissed and too dangerous to be missed. Our expert today is Dr. Deborah Serrani. She's returning to Psych Up Live as our expert on depression, and she's going to be discussing this topic and drawing upon her new book, Depression in Later Life, An Essential Guide. Dr. Sarani is a psychologist, a go-to media expert on psychological issues. She's very well respected in the field, and she's the author of two other award-winning books, Living with Depression and Depression and Your Child, a Guide for Parents and Caregivers. Dr. Sarani, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. I am so happy to be here, Dr. Phillips. Thanks again for inviting me. Okay. Now, here's what I hear, um, Deb, I hear over the years questions like, "Is could Grandpa be depressed? He doesn't even want to watch Wheel of Fortune anymore. <laughs> or um, could my wife be depressed? We retired to our dream house, but she doesn't even want to meet the neighbors. So I'm going to ask you, is depression just a normal part of aging? Such a great question, and the answer simply is No. Depression is not a form of any type of aging. In fact, depression at any time in life through the life cycle is not considered a healthy experience. So talking about geriatric depression will help bring light and let others realize that just because you're getting older doesn't mean that you're going to be sad or depressed. Now, Deb, one of the things you say in your book, which is so powerful, is that 15% of people over 65 really can be diagnosed and are diagnosed with depression, another 90% of those with depression are missed. Now, why is, this, why is this so? 
Well, depression in later life presents so differently than it does at earlier ages in young adults or in children. You know, many people think of depression as being uh, an experience of sadness and hopelessness, and we get, uh, you know, visions of dark clouds and caricatures that kind of exaggerate that. But depression later in life, meaning 65 years and older, actually presents with far more physical complaints than emotional complaints. So that's Mm. why it's often missed. So Mm. doctors who may see geriatric patients may actually be treating the ache and pain or the sore throat or headache and really missing the underlying mental illness or the mood disorder of depression that's operating. So that's why it's, it's frequently missed. And you could imagine, I mean, anybody over 65, you go to any doctor, they can and will find something wrong because there is something wrong, um, right. you know, at some point. So it can obscure what you describe as often the irritability that goes with this, the loss of interest. The, right. um, there, are, there are three main areas that uh, are, are so important for anybody who's of a senior age or love someone who's in those golden years, and they, they are symptoms that are so very different, and I break them up in three categories, behavioral symptoms, physical symptoms, and cognitive uh, symptoms. Most often, it's the behavioral uh, symptoms that we see. We see a lot of pacing and fidgeting, restlessness and irritability. Um, some depressed seniors just stop taking care of themselves, and loved ones think, well, you know, they're just getting older or, you know, they don't have as much energy as they used to, so it's okay if mom's not showering or, you know, if she's not getting dressed and is in her pajamas all day long. Mm -hmm. Um, So these behavioral symptoms, we may not necessarily link it to depression. We may link it to, quote-unquote, old age, and that's where we make a very big mistake. Mm. Now, you give the story of Joan um, in the book, and I think her family doesn't understand what's going on with her. She's irritable. Um, They think, could she be depressed? She's saying, I'm not depressed. And then she comes to you. Maybe you could share what helps her understand and what helps the family understand what's going on. Well, what ends up happening in many of the cases, and particularly with Joan, who uh, when I remember asking her, um, you know, if I could write about her experience, she was like, oh, absolutely, I, I, I'm so glad that you will because it not only changed my life, I, I really want others to understand what it is that I've gone through. So what ends up happening um, when I generally see an older person is I, I certainly recommend that they go get a full medical evaluation, as, as, all, as all clinicians do. We mm-hmm. want to make sure that if we're treating any kind of mood disorder or mental illness, that physically a person is okay. So Joan had actually gone through all of those things and was still reporting feeling certain kinds of symptoms that, to me, signified um, that she was struggling with depression. But because she was so reluctant and she was really, I I guess, in denial is is another way of of expressing it, I said to her that I'd like to walk with her hand-in-hand through what's called a geriatric assessment. So we went through very formal depression scales, and she slowly started to see that the questions she was answering or the symptoms she was experiencing were depression. 
and it mm-hmm. helped her as well as her family to to really understand and see this as an illness that's serious but treatable. Mm. And just so our listeners know, so this geriatric scale is really so was really so easy for Joan to to finish or, or respond to things like, are you in good spirits most of the time? Do you often get bored? Do you feel full of energy? By the time the person's gone through the 15 some odd questions, they start to themselves, I believe, and that's what you want to happen, reflect on, wait a minute, what, what's going on? It's certainly more than, as you say, just being sad. Right, and, and it's one thing when a physician tells you, you know, you know uh, is everything okay at home? Are you struggling with anything? Uh, it's just a, a one-dimensional layer that a person answers. But when you start to get into the details of a geriatric assessment uh, or a clinical um, uh, way of kind of looking at a disorder, you start to get to the textures and the, and the many dimensions that illness can take. And it brings a greater understanding and a, and a feeling of acceptance of, okay, there really is something here. There's no shame for me to feel about it because it is something that can be treated and it's not something that um, can really limit me. But if, if it's missed, depression can turn into some serious episodes and suicide is at the highest rate for individuals 85 years and older. They hold the highest suicide risk rate. Mm. And, it's, and it's preventable, so preventable. Now, Deb, just for us to take a step back, for because I know family members as well as um, uh, people themselves who are wondering about themselves, I wondered in terms of you make the very good point of you start out with a physical. Could you maybe mention some of the diseases that mimic depression? Um I think we could go on to say, in addition to the disease, there may still be some depressive symptoms, but that might help us a bit. What, what are some of the diseases that actually mimic depression? Well, there are so, so many, but some of the top okay. are diabetes, uh, any type of blood sugar levels that can kind of either raise or lower your irritability, stroke, thyroid, sleep apnea, um, you can have certain forms of neurological dementia, um, you can have anemia, any kinds of heart disease, and even many of the medications that seniors take can sometimes complicate certain um, mental and cognitive functioning. So this is why it's so vital to get a full physical from the neck up and the neck down, mm. um, you know, blood work, x-rays. And it's not, you know, because we, we just kind of want to poke and prod a, a, anybody. It's, it's really to get the most information we can uniquely about what you're going through, what you experience, and how to rule out other issues. Mm. You know, I, over a number of years ago, I worked with someone who did have thyroid problems, so her just laying on the couch was attributed to that until the family came to see, wait a minute, in addition to that, there were, this woman had some real depressive symptoms. And so, so it's very sometimes co-determined or, you know, over-determined in terms of what's, what's bringing some of the symptoms. One thing you say that I want to underscore is many seniors may not have a full um, kind of range that they that would make them have a diagnosis of um, depression, 
but there's subclinical symptoms. And if we address them in time, then a full-blown depression may be averted. Is that so, Deb? That's true. Upwards of 75% of individuals uh, really experience what we call subclinical or or non-diagnosable depression. What that means is, is that you have a few symptoms going on. And if treatment is not addressed or if you're not given things or try different techniques to make you feel better, th- those symptoms can worsen and those individuals will then fall into a diagnosable depression. Again, this is preventable. So we have, you know, a variety of ways of, of looking at geriatric depression to get an appropriate assessment if you think you're depressed, to monitor subclinical symptoms um, so we can kind of make sure that you don't get more depressed and to also make sure that um, mental health professionals and health professionals understand the differences between early onset depression and late onset depression because, again, this mood disorder is treatable. It's treatable, but early detection is, is so key. Deb, I wonder if you could mention... Um, like a few of the categories very briefly so someone would understand if someone couldn't sleep and was, um, you know, very manic that that's a, that's a piece of, of one of the types. What, what are the different types of geriatric depression? Wow, there are so, 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 so many. <laughs> okay, well, even if you give us, let's say, the top two or three. Well, there's, um, we have a major depressive disorder and um, that kind of disorder is what most people generally think of uh, depression, somebody that is just in a very, very bad place for a small, short time. But there's also catatonic depression. There's um, mild depression, which we consider a low-grade depression. There's dysthymia. Um, there's certain depressions that are vascular in nature. Older individuals have more depression as a result of their vascular systems and difficulties there than do younger people. So you can have something that's called a post-stroke depression, um, and you can have a vascular depression. So, you know, there really are so many subsets or different categories of depression that the geriatric population can have Mm -hmm. that it's vital to get a very detailed geriatric assessment. I can't emphasize that enough. You don't want to go 10 minutes into a medical doctor's office or 20 minutes into a a mental health professional's office and come out with a diagnosis. That would sing to me that not enough time has been spent to truly understand the level of depression and the kind of depression that a person has. That's great to consider. That's great. And I know in the book you talk about the correlation between pain and illness and post-surgical situations and depression, something um, to be very aware of. Um, Yes. Yes, many individuals are not even aware that um, post-surgical depression is a very very common experience. We see it in rehabs and we see it with seniors who've had mild or pretty moderate operations and are at home and then slip into a depressive episode. Um, You know, this also happens with dementia and delirium. There's so much that goes on uh, for our loved ones that are older. So their mental status needs to really be considered carefully and diagnosed exceptionally well. 
Mm-hmm. One of the th- I know you have charts in the back of the book and give some very good suggestions. And one thing that once came up interesting with uh, military women, they were telling each other that they that the best thing to do is keep a medical notebook so that wherever whenever you walk into uh, a, a mental health or a medical certainly a medical office, you have every medication, you have every visit, you have every surgery, you have every te- test data because that the more information you bring, the better the chance of the correct diagnosis. Yes, I remember reading somewhere that we have about four minutes with a medical <laughs> doctor to plead our case. And as someone who, my own father was hospitalized just in the last year of his life over 22 times, he was a very sickly man, and we learned just just from trial and error to carry everything with us. It just made for better communication. And, you know, the research points to that, that if you can have the medications that you've been taking, uh, the conditions you've had, the surgeries you've had, it really helps to hone in when you're working with the medical team, particularly if you have just a little bit of time to convey what it is that you're thinking and feeling and experiencing. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to treatment, um, what should people be thinking of? What sh- I mean, some people think, oh, they want to just, they'll just probably put her on medication, and she's on too many medications already. Um, what what are the type of treatments that you found, you, you've done so much work and you see so many seniors, um, that, that someone might be aware of? Well, I have to say that when I was writing this book, I was aware of only a few short-term therapies because the research shows that people with an advanced age tend to do better with shorter-term therapies than, per se, younger people who are involved in longer-term therapies that take months or even years. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, kind of delighted to, to discover, oh, my gosh, there are so many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, as I was writing about each of them, I, I kind of imagined that it, it would be a wonderful journey for an older person um, to kind of be able to sit through these therapy sessions in this short amount of time, look for behavioral and symptom changes, but also deepen the meaning of their life. So mm-hmm. there are a variety of different what we call short-term therapies. There are some that are behavioral therapy. This looks at just to make sure that the behaviors that a senior may be getting reinforced or thinking about may be actually worsening their depression. So they, they work with the therapist in a short amount of time to discover how to reroute those behaviors and find more positive behaviors to enhance their life. The so, Debbie, we're, we're, we're almost out of time. What would be an example of a behavior they might wor- um, work on? And then we're going to come back to this after the break. For well, instance, what if you always are saying to yourself, you know, my body is so so weak and I can't get anything done and I'm never going to see I'm never going to see the things I want to see in life. Those types of behaviors of of never going out and never making plans may actually worsen the, the depression. A therapist may say, "Well, why don't we see if we can reframe it differently? How about we start focusing on what you can do?" So how about you can t- take the bus to the grocery store and or you can have your uh, daughter pick you up and take you to a friend's house for lunch. So you can't get around as much, but you can perhaps find meaningful behaviors and experiences. 
So it's about reframing. So that would be a very short example of what a behaviorist would look to change. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to, to Psych Up Live, and we're with Dr. Debbie Serrani. Her new book, Depression in Later Life, An Essential Guide. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Debbie Sereni and we were just talking about treatments, the many different types of treatment that, that can be really sort of tailored to a senior's need. Let's continue a little bit with that, um, Dr. Sarani. What are some of those other treatments? Well, um, there's um, problem-solving therapy where a senior may come in and uh, they may be struggling with a particular issue related to their health or their depression, and the focus is just merely on helping the senior find a way to solve the problem. Um, and another therapy that I, I really enjoy and I wasn't aware that I was doing <laughs> is uh, life narrative therapy where uh, a senior comes in and um, the narrative work spends a lot of time on creating meaning for a person, what their life has meant, the things that they regret, the things that were meaningful. Um, it's intensive and it's revitalizing. 
um, and it can really help shape uh, the the last chapter of a person's life to a deeper level of acceptance and meaning, and it's it's just so rewarding to work with someone in that capacity. Um, and there are many, many others. Um, there's psychoeducation, which is merely working with the senior just to kind of educate with uh, bibli- bibliography and materials and books, just kind of going over what depression is or what aging really means, um, what retirement should feel like but isn't. So, you know, there are many, many ways that seniors can be involved in talk therapy on a short, short-term basis. And also there are ways for them should they want to continue, particularly if they slowly discover that there's more that they want to work on, they're already connected to a mental health professional and they can go forward with a more long-term kind of therapy. You know, Deb, so I have had over the years people say that they didn't have a chance to talk about a lot of things because they think no one in the house really is too interested in listening. Mm. Um, so when they get the chance to start as... as uh, you're saying narrating their life. Very often, that's really very close to all that we're seeing lately of the positives of narrating healing and right. writing about adversity or anything. And as people narrate their healing, they often are going to bring up with you, and they don't do this unless they're invited, regrets. And often there's a yeah. real distortion of what they imagine they should have done mm. 50 years ago at a time when it would have been inconceivable. Yeah, so the, right? So the whole idea that they have a listening audience gives them a different frame often for things they're carrying, secrets, regrets. It's extremely effective in terms of shifting people's feelings about what, what they did in their life. And I also tell people who, who may not really want to formally go into a, a mental health talk therapy, there are books. Um, this is a big, booming um, part of the book industry where, you know, uh, it's kind of like a fill-in-the-blank book where family members can give it to their loved seniors and say, you know, where were you born? What school did you go to? Right. What dreams did you have? And they go and they fill out these books, and it creates this reflective narrative that allows uh, a family to really, you know, come to understand the meaning behind a person's life. Um, So it it can be done in a less structured way as well. Nice. You know, in in your book and and your folks, when you get this book, Debbie's examples, her case studies are are like reading a novel. They are so fabulous. Um, Well, in a number of them, you are having to work to encourage the the person to try some medication. Let's talk about medication because very often the family members are saying, oh, my God, he's on so much medication already. The person doesn't want to take more. Maybe you can talk about medication for depression. Well, we do know that there are very high success rates for the geriatric population if medication is recommended. However, medication throws into the mix for someone who's 65 and older a variety of things that are so delicate and different than a younger person. So while I do understand and and can embrace when a doctor or psychiatrist or nurse practitioner says, yeah, I can see the geriatric depression and I'm going to recommend a low dose of fluoxetine or Seroquel, and people brace and say, I don't know if I want to do this. There are a number of things that one can consider. And I stumbled across this 
personally, and it's now become a staple for me when I work with anyone now, which is to seek out genetic testing to evaluate how your own personal genetics can metabolize medication. It's called cytochrome P450 testing. It's approved by Medicare and many insurance companies now, and it can kind of take out the guesswork if this is going to be too much medication or if there'll be an adverse reaction. Uh, And it's so simply done, and nobody really knows about it, so I love talking about it whenever I get the chance. Mm. So a person might say to their physician, I'd like to have the testing, and it's a very easy test, right, um, Debbie? It is. It is. There are many labs that do this, and um, many doctors are still not aware of it. It's an out. It's an out. Um, an outgrowth of uh, genetic testing for cancer patients. And I know we're short on time, so I won't go too long into the backstory of this. But what we've discovered is that uh, the mental health. Um, area of understanding medication has kind of now taken this technology and said, we know that upwards of 60% of people don't respond to medications. We know that many have adverse reactions. And we also play kind of like a spin the bottle when we're going to prescribe medication. We just kind of say, well, this might work. Well, what the genetic testing does, it's a simple cheek swab. Uh, your doctor asks for the whole packet of information. It's filled out, completed. Your cheek is swabbed within, you know, 15 seconds. It gets mailed away. And within a week or 10 days, a genetic profile comes back. That, for me, was life-changing. And for several of my patients, it was enormously life-changing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it will tailor to you what medications suit your genetics what dosages are more appropriate for you. Um, So to me, it's almost like putting a pair of glasses on and being able to see everything that I need. So I'm not sure why we don't know more about it. I don't know why this isn't, you know, front page news. Um, I I think, you know, perhaps maybe the pharmaceutical industry doesn't really love this kind of test uh, Mm -hmm. because, it, you know, it may take, you know, less guesswork may mean less sales. I don't know. Uh, but it really is a very simple thing to do, and I encourage everyone, not even geriatric patients, but all of us should know what our phenotype and genotype is because it, sounds- it never changes, and you will better know what antibiotics to take uh, as well as, you know, what kind of antidepressants to take. Right, and the name of that test was cytochrome P450 testing. So right. let, let's go back to your comment, and it is alarming to think about I don't think people think about seniors in terms of um, suicide and depression. So for a family member, if we, we've now kind of raised people's consciousness, what, what you distinguish in the book, it's very, very helpful, between warning signs and risk factors. Could you just talk a little bit about that? Well, a lot of the times people confuse warning signs and risk factors as being one and the same thing. And actually, they're very, very different. A warning sign, a behavior that we see, uh, something like um, uh, a person who has access to a lethal mean, a gun, um, if somebody is talking about, I don't want to be here anymore, it's just too hard to live, if there's failing health or financial hardship, 
a warning sign means that there's an immediate risk of suicide. Mm -hmm. Risk factors tend to place a person in what we call an at-risk place. We say that they may have limited access to health care or they may be very uh, detached from family members. Um, Maybe they're not in the best of health, but their health is not failing. They have, you know, somewhat minimal self-esteem. Different kinds of characteristics put a person at risk to move into a suicidal state. So the more we educate others about what warning signs are and what risk factors are, the better we get at interrupting suicidality and helping individuals get the help that they need. Mm. Because, again, suicide is preventable. You know, you mentioned, uh, you highlight three things um, in the discussion in the book, which is very, very helpful. And that is, and it really fits, and that is so many seniors, when they start to feel all they are is a burden, mm-hmm. that there's there's no point, no one in the family needs me, um, I'm not of any value anymore, um, I'd be better off dead, and they'd have my right. money, um, and I really have no purpose, and... People can store up pills. So right. when you see those three things, when you get the feeling that grandpa feels, what's the point? Who needs me? That's really something to worry about and to address. Right. And there's a, a mnemonic that's sometimes used. It's called, is path warm? Is the path warm? Is, and each, word, each um, letter uh, represents something worth being mindful of. Is there ideation? Is the person talking about death? And is there any type of substance use, prescription pills, alcohol nearby? Is there purposelessness that a person feels? Uh, and on and on, you know, we talk about anxiety, mm-hmm. feeling trapped right. and hopeless. Uh, so sometimes these mnemonics help loved ones kind of say, well, wait a minute, you know, is Aunt Rose kind of feeling any of these things here? I think I remember reading or hearing something about this. I'm a little concerned. I think I'm going to look in on her. Mm -hmm. And if you look in on a loved one and and you see some of these warning signs, warning signs mean get immediate help. But if you see things that are placing your loved one at risk, that also means to get immediate help because we want to get treatment in a geriatric person's life as quickly as possible because the, the more we get talk therapy, the more we get good health care, perhaps medication, uh, the more we have um, a chance to really help curb the worsening of a depressive episode. Mm-hmm. So if you are very, very frightened and the risk looks great, right then and there you think about calling 911 or going to a hospital, what would you recommend it? Well, um, if somebody is in immediate danger, I always call the police. I have had mm-hmm. the police show up at my office. <laughs> um, and um, I have to say that they are prepared, uh, at least where we are here in New York. Um, they've taken people who were in very, very fragile states right to the emergency room. Um, sometimes I believe it's helpful to get uh, an immediate medical appointment if a doctor or a general practitioner can see you and can help lead the way if hospitalization is necessary. Uh, Again, you know, we want to take each individual as a unique case-by-case basis. You want to evaluate, you know, the risk of immediate death and harm and, if necessary, hospitalization or even 
rehabilitation. Sometimes individuals yes. can go to nursing homes that have um, them more equipped for the geriatric population. Uh, but again, this requires you to do a little elbow grease work and, you know, summon family and friends. I try to tell people, don't, don't handle this on your own. Have a care team. Create a care team. Uh, but the goal here is to keep your loved one safe and to get immediate treatment. Mm, and one thing I know you mentioned in the book, which is <clears throat> so valuable, is if they won't get help and you see some of the warning signs, you go get help to figure out how to help them. That is, That's right. That's yeah. right. There are, there are some individuals that will get just enough help to kind of keep the depression at bay, but they, you know, they may be reluctant or resist. That doesn't mean that you as a loved one, a family member, can't connect with a mental health professional and say, I have a loved one who I think is depressed. Um, what do I do? And then you're supplied with the skills and techniques, and you can kind of go from there. Terrific. Um, now, in the, from the other point of view, a very, very important and interesting section of your book is on what you call conscious aging. And you describe it as both a protective factor for suicide as well as just g- depression, of course, in general. Now, we're going to take a break in a little while, but how would you define this conscious aging? Well, conscious aging, um, I remember hearing Gwyneth Paltrow talk about her conscious uncoupling several years ago, and I remember kind of giggling at that phrase, but it really has more meaning because as I started to do research, I discovered this whole movement called conscious aging, which means to be deeply aware of one's own life and the limitations And there's a whole science, what's called noetic sciences, that believes in deepening one's consciousness and that by doing so, you have a more meaningful relationship to yourself in the world. So that's what conscious aging looks like. It's an enormous movement, and uh, I'm happy to talk about it after the break with you. Right. Just in in the minute that we have left, if you could just name what are the dimensions of it, Deb? Attention, you say? Well, oh, there, there's, oh, there's a variety of different ones. Um, there's um, an intention to make life positive, uh, a way to build mind and body practices that allow you to shift and enhance your life to be more conscious of, uh, ways to use the practice of, of being aware of your consciousness to create new habits. Um, and, and a way to surrender to certain things you can and can't change so you can learn to live deeply. Um, the conscious aging approach is a, is a very, Freud would be very, um, very enamored with this um, because it really looks at mind and awareness and acceptance of certain things and trying to teach us to kind of live within the moment because life can change at any time. And mm. when we do that, we free ourselves from fear and anxiety. Um, I, I had a mom who actually was just a natural at this. And so she at, you know, 84 could say we had such a great day. They served tuna fish. So, I mean, when she could take pleasure out of that or a bingo game, 
you know that's the kind of, not that someone has to, everyone has to do that, but we're going to come back and talk about what does it look like to have attention, intention, to get guidance. Stay with us. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Debbie Serrani. She's informing us about depression in later life, and we're going to be talking about protective factors for depression in later life. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Deborah Serrani, she's the author of the new book, Depression and Later Life. And we were just talking about a very important protective factor for later life depression, conscious aging. We're going to exemplify that. But before we do, Dr. Serrani, how would people find your book and find you and, and your website? How, how can they find you? Well, my book should be in uh, brick-and-mortar bookstores like uh, Barnes & Noble, but you can also find it online at Amazon and also at my publisher at Roman and Littlefield. Uh, or you can just kind of visit me at my website, which is drdebrasirani.com. Okay. Uh, worth the visit, folks, because um, her other books are also wonderful. 
Um, so, Dr. Sereni, so let's make it very clear, this conscious aging. What would it look like if I started attending? Or what would it look like when you talk about the I to we perspective? Because conscious aging is really a perspective, right? It is a perspective, and there are workshops out there that kind of cover these areas that I talk about in the book. Most of them are about enhancing your awareness, Um, and one of the first levels is called attention, which is pretty straightforward, Um, and conscious aging is, is about taking all the time that you can in your life and using anything you can to deepen its meaning. So with attention, you would probably use your senses a lot more. You would listen to your breath. You would take just a stillness of a moment of being with your grandchild or watching the sunset in a special place. You want to feel the textures of the moment, not only in your mind and in your body, but in the environment as well. So sometimes we tend to forget about these things as, you know, we're, we're busy in our lives. So conscious aging is not just this, you know, hippy-dippy kind of, you know, well, let's just get in touch with everything. There really is a structured purpose to it. And the, the one thing that people learn first is how to refocus and shift their attention. Mm. And then the next thing they talk about is now using what's called intention. Um, This is called um, the way that you want to, you know, see your life, what you intend to have in your life. You start to ask yourself questions, um, you know, am I doing things that are self-destructive? Am I doing things that are self-limiting? How do I feel about the people around me? Are they lovable? Are they toxic? You want to intend to find and create a more meaningful life. And conscious aging takes you into these um, different areas where you'll look about, you'll look uh, on how to achieve guidance to find these deeper levels of consciousness, how to integrate consciousness in a more daily frame of your life. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to move from an experience of yourself to uh, an experience of yourself with others because it's through others that we find connection and meaning. So in many ways, this reminds me of Maslow's self-actualization where you just deepen your sense of awareness of time, space, and place within yourself and with those that you love so that it brings you a meaning and purpose at this golden stage of life. And it's yeah. not done it's not done in a, a day or a week. It's done over the course of time that's meaningful for you. Um, and it and it should raise not just your consciousness, but your acceptance of mortality and an understanding of what can and can't be and letting go of certain regrets and losses and coming to a level of acceptance. It's a beautiful uh, way of handling later life, but as you mentioned, it's a great inoculation against depression and a great preventative way to offset suicide. Well, um, I, I actually love this perspective because in one case, so um, an elderly man was thinking about I mentioned to Debbie before, I'll never see my granddaughter graduate. I'll never see her walk down the aisle. And after working on this a little, he came to see 
Nobody colors with that four-year-old like him. Nobody talks to her about friendlies and what they're going to order the way he does. Nobody plays with the dog like he does with her. So when you realize we only just get one minute at a time and you are special to that little one in a moment, maybe that's more important and far more healthy than worrying about who's there at graduation. Right, and and I know one of my patients was dealing with certain limitations. She she needs knee surgery. She can't get around like she used to. Her her grandchildren are older and they're more active, and she was feeling sad about you know just her lack of motility and mobility and missing her grandsons. And we were talking about you know how to be in the moment and how to be more aware of what you can and can't do. And she ended up t- uh, taking a, an extended vacation with her, her grandkids and really found herself tasting the textures of the food, listening to the laughs and, and the, the deep, you know, belly laughs that her grandsons were sharing as they told stories. There was a shift in how she was living. She was living more in the moment and less with regret and anger about what she couldn't do. And I saw that as a really wonderful um, change for her. It's precious. It's a wonderful change. So this fits into something else you write so beautifully in the book about um, later life depression and the power of acceptance. You talk about it in your own life and you talk about it for later life depression. What do you mean by that, Deb, the power of acceptance? Well, you know, so much happens when you find that you're struggling with an illness or, you know, maybe there are certain hardships that come your way. What positive psychology has taught us over the years is that it's not that some of us are luckier than others because that's not necessarily the case. What's different is how we approach these particular experiences in life. And what we know about depression and acceptance is that if you have self-limiting beliefs like this is terrible, I'm useless, I'm never going to feel good again, getting old, it's just, you know, the worst thing I've ever experienced, that's going to keep you in a circle of negativity and a circle of helpless despair. But if you shift and, and challenge your mind to not think in self-limiting ways, but in life-expanding ways, to say, well, you know, I may not be able to control what's happening to my body, but with age comes wisdom, and I can accept to value myself how I am. I could accept what I can do instead of what I see that I can't do. Mm -hmm. And when you look towards living your life as an older person, or in this last chapter, the acceptance allows you to liberate yourself in ways that limits negativity and enhances positivity. So acceptance is not something that, you know, happens without a little bit of work. It does take some work. But knowing what, for instance, what I can and can't do, I don't want to focus on what I can't do. I don't have time for it. I don't mm-hmm. want to waste my energy on it. I want to talk about, you know, where I can go and how good I can feel. Or if I have to take my medication 
and, you know, I have certain side effects that I have to live with. I don't even want to think about the side effects because I want to know and celebrate that I'm feeling good. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Accept- acceptance is an art, and talk therapists can help others learn, you know, how to achieve that. Um, but it, it is something that I, I notice uh, in my own personal experiences and in my professional work that when you transform self-limiting thoughts, you really expand um, a hopefulness that can be a new way of living life. You you also, I really think, we've seen now the mind-body connection such that when you are hopeful and when you are noticing the positives, you are less stressed. <laughs> you have less anxiety. You you eat better. You sleep better. So that we the the overall benefit is both mind, body, and spirit. That's right. I know some some research that's done um, with young people um, and older people who struggle with depression is they would take a functional MRI, they would kind of be looking at the brain in an active sense, and they would tell the person to think of a happy moment, and they could see the subtle changes mm. operating in all the different areas of the brain, and when they were told to think of something very tragic or scary or upsetting, how certain brain functioning would diminish. So we do know the power of thought can be, it can be life-changing. Mm. Now, one of the one of the beautiful um, passages that you use in your book has to do with the power of acceptance, and I wonder um, if that you could share that before we have to stop today. The passage by Leland Stowe, you choose that, you associate with that. Would you read that for us, Deb? I will. I'm just turning to it. <laughs> okay, that's great. Okay, I have it. Yeah, I I just love it. Um, I hope I do it justice. If it doesn't take courage to grow old, what does it take? Faith in living, I believe. Faith that its compensations will multiply with time. It all adds up to this equation. Attitudes plus habits equal motivations. Motivations plus goals plus dreams equal character. All cindered into solid bricks. For the passageway into growing old. It's beautiful, I, Deb. I think it is beautiful. <laughs> really, really great. And so is the book. Um, I, I really want to thank you, Dr. Serrani, for coming back to Psych Up Live with your wisdom and with this new book, which truly is an essential guide. Um, I want our readers, our listeners and our readers to know that Dr. Serrani called Dick Cavett, you know, the famous TV host, and said, how would you like to um, say something about this book? And this is what he wrote, and it's right on the back cover. This is an invaluable contribution to those suffering from depression and those who care for them. And it is, Deb. It really is. Thank you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks so much again. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this show and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website. But I think people are telling me they're listening to it actually on their iPhones. Just download free um, podcast apps, and there it is on Voice America Psych Up Live. You can pick it up on iTunes, on Sketcher, under Psych Up Live. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly until next week, please take care. Thanks again and be listening. 
Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week.